Good morning. My name is Barbara Perman, and uh, this morning we continue in our series through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to follow along with today's scripture reading, now is the time to get out your Bibles or follow along on the screens. I'll be reading from the New International Version, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. God. I think now is the time that the children are dismissed. Not today. I was just going to make sure that the parents didn't leave with the children. (laughs) And an older man needs a little higher stand. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth. Guide us in understanding your truth and living in accordance with that understanding. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Had Peter sung our pastor had the kind of ministry history that the Apostle Paul had, I do not think we would have called him to be our pastor. The Apostle Paul was a jailbird in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica on the heels of a riot. He was smuggled out of Damascus in a laundry basket over the wall to save his skin. He was ignored In Athens, as a babbler, he was mocked and laughed at in Corinth. He was stoned and left for dead in Lystra and in Ephesus and in Jerusalem, too. He set off riots. Great credentials for a new pastor. Now in our text, he tells the Romans that he wants to come to Rome. After that kind of a record, he wants to come to Rome which was not exactly sympathetic and open to the proclamation of the gospel. Rome was the center of the world's power structure. It was sophisticated. It was cruel. It was grossly evil. It was proud. It was rotting at its core. And they were killing Christians. Here, Paul who was part of the despised Jewish race in the eyes of the Romans, planned to preach his doctrine, which any Roman thought was bizarre doctrine. 
a Savior who was also a Jew, who claimed to be man and God, who died a death of shame on a Roman cross in an obscure province, and then was said by his fanatical followers to have risen from the dead. Why, that doctrine had even been rejected by the fellow Jews and by the Greeks as foolishness and unsophisticated. And Paul knew this. He writes to the Corinthians in the second chapter, I think it was, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. And with all this in mind, with all of this in mind, his history and the, the challenge that faced him in Rome, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In contrast with the executive I not too long ago was in conversation with, and I said, in our cultural climate today, do you find opposition and ridicule because of your stand as a Christian? Opposition from your fellow CEOs and from the executive board and the corporate board. And the man said, I don't think they've found out. <laughs> Quite a contrast with the Apostle Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Pause for just a moment and review your past month and the conversations you have had. I am convinced that it is impossible to have an honest conversation in our culture today and keep the fact that you are a follower of Jesus hidden. An honest conversation. It was about 1.30 in the morning and I came to the motel after a horrible travel. The plane had been late. It was delayed in taking off. It was delayed in landing. There was a snowstorm and it took a long time to get to the hotel. And when I walked in, that cute little girl behind the desk who had just come on duty at 1 o'clock very perky, said, Good evening, sir. I hope you're having a wonderful evening. <laughs> Watch my room, please. And then she said, as I was filling out the registration card, Oh, you're a Pisces. <laughs> I said, I'm what? <laughs> she said, you're a Pisces. Well, I don't even know exactly what a Pisces is. It's some kind of birth date or something like that, but I'm sure that I'm not. And she said, oh, yes, you are. And I said, why do you say that? And she reached across the counter and took a hold of my lapel where I had a fish pin. <laughs> now, the fish pin was very simple. It was just simply two lines, and that was the earliest symbol of the Christians in an age of persecution in Bible times. I was wearing it to identify myself as a Christian, and she thought it meant I was a Pisces. <laughs> and I said, bearing in mind the necessity for an honest conversation, I said, no, that doesn't mean I'm a Pisces. 
Well, what does it mean then? What do you say? It's 1.30 in the morning. I am flat out exhausted. I want to go to bed. And so I said something I'm not sure I recommend. I said, what time do you come on work? She said, at 1 o'clock. When do things lighten up for you so that you can have an extended conversation? Oh, about 1.30 or 2. <laughs> All right. Look, if you will let me go to bed, I will meet you tomorrow morning at 1.30, and I will answer all of your questions about this pin. Oh, good. Okay. I went to bed. I slept like a log. The next morning at 7.30, I got up. I went down for breakfast with a couple of my minister buddies. As we walked past the desk, this cute little girl said, I'll see you at 1.30. <laughs> Uh, try to explain that to a couple of preachers. I... What I'm saying is that it is impossible to have an honest conversation and keep your alliances and allegiance to Christ sacred. Sooner or later, it's going to come out. And that becomes a problem for us today because our culture is increasingly hostile to Christians and the faith. Intolerant of Christian belief and lifestyle, being portrayed as bigoted, judgmental, intolerant, unsophisticated, ignorant, and politically incorrect. All you have to do is turn to the pages of Sports Illustrated or any national document and see what the reaction of the writers is to someone who makes a witness. Nowadays, when an athlete has a remarkable performance, maybe wins the championship, and microphones are shoved in his face, many of them say, first of all, I want to give praise to God who protected us and gave us a good game. And that is edited out. Observe our culture, please. Not in condemnation but to increase your awareness. Our culture is increasingly crude. It is materialistic, it is self-centered, it is shallow, it is life-rejecting. It tolerates anything and everything except Christian faith. Except the gospel of which Paul said, I am not ashamed. And why wasn't he? He had all kinds of reasons from a purely secular or humanistic point of view to be ashamed. Why wasn't he? He goes on, because it is the power of God. Oh, now there's a word the Romans can relate to, power. Power. That's why you find an awful lot of the miracles of Jesus referred to in the gospel that was written primarily for the Romans. Because miracles speak of power, and Romans loved that, and their culture portrayed it and demonstrated in their legions, which were spread all over the civilized world and the empire. 
Power is also a reality that our culture reveres. I just sold my car. I'm still in grief. (laughs) That little sports car was so much fun. It had nine speakers and a 300-watt amplifier in the trunk. I could blow your ears off, and it was a top-down kind of car, like its driver, and... I started to look in the newspaper at the ads for cars to see what would be a reasonable price to charge. And a lot of the ads said PAA. Now, what does that mean? Power all around. Even selling a car, we're interested in power. And our culture reveres it in corporate boardrooms and in sports arenas. And playground bullies love power. And politics loves power, the party that's in power. And we're all aware of multiple power struggles that go on in our everyday life. And we also are aware of the discomfort of being in situations where we feel powerless. But Paul, in verse 15, says he is eager to declare the gospel in Rome because it is good news. That's what gospel means. It is good news because it is the power of God, not the power of a great education, not the power of a proper family connection or a racial mix or a moral track record, not the power of political alignment because you're on the right side of the aisle in a legislature, Not even the power represented by the caliber of your gun. It is the power of God. I trust most of us remember the promise of Jesus to his disciples just before his ascension. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Power has a purpose. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Peter spoke about evangelism quite a bit. Alistair McGrath of Oxford University wrote this. The fundamental motivation for evangelism is that of generosity. The basic human concern to share the good tidings of life with those whom we love. It does not reflect a desire to share, sell, or dominate. It arises from love and compassion on the part of those who have found something wonderful and want others to share in its joy. It is, as the old adage has it, like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. The gospel that Paul is declaring and is eager to declare in the center of the empire was the power of God. And most of us have witnessed the power of God in operation. In the lives of friends and in our own life, the power of God, which breaks the power of lust and addictions and self-centeredness and stinginess and bitterness, the power of God, not changing water into wine, but as a friend of mine testified recently, changing the booze I was drowning in into bread for my family 
and a restored family at that. Power. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For what? For salvation. For who? For everyone that believes. Power with a purpose. Everyone who believes. Not background or nationality or intellect or education or investments or account or church denomination. It's for everyone who believes. When my wife and I were serving the church in Lucerne, Switzerland, that congregation was made up of people from 27 different countries. You've never heard so many accents. You've never struggled so hard to understand what was being said. Both ways. On the day of Pentecost, the scripture was read by a man from France who had this beautiful accent. And he began to read the account of what took place on the day of Pentecost. And he said, he began to read, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And then he began to preach the gospel to them, telling them all that was going on. And there's this wonderful day of Pentecost story. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And this beautiful French accent went on, When they heard the sound of the mighty rushing winds, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Then he began to read, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. And as he began to read that section, People stood up all over the congregation and in the balcony and began to read out loud that passage of Scripture in their own native language. It was a cacophony of sounds. Every language represented in that congregation as the blacks and the whites and the yellows and the reds and everybody else stood up and began to read. It was fabulous. It was an incredible experience. And then all of a sudden, the voices started to die off and the French accent continued and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the power that Paul was so eager to proclaim to Rome. A power not dependent upon history or family or moral record but the power of God to everyone who believes. It is by faith, you see, by faith. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, even if it's the finest religious leather. Will Rogers has said, and we heard it in our Sunday school class this morning, quoted by C.S. Lewis, a clear conscience is often the result of a bad memory. 
We are in need of redemption. We are in need of forgiveness. We are in need of following Christ by faith. You see, it's not Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. It's God's way. Or it's no way. But that's hard for human ego to take. People don't like some of the things that the gospel teaches. People don't like to hear things. They don't want to hear it. It's not politically correct. It's so narrow. But the position of trusting in faith involves two things, an attitude toward God, which is trust, and an attitude toward yourself and your own righteousness as distrust. Paul goes on in verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This righteousness is from God. It's revealed. Because we wouldn't have discovered it ourselves. We have our own way of achieving righteousness. Our own is based on comparison ratings. For 26 years I walked the streets of Seattle and Skid Road and I never had a hooker or a drunk that I talked to on the streets at 3 o'clock in the morning with her arm around me saying, well, I know, Father, you don't think I'm very good, but I'm better than Frank. Everybody has their own righteousness. Everybody has their own way. That's why the scripture says that our own righteousness is as filthy rags. And we don't like that. Because we're pretty nice. Our natural self wants to do it ourselves. An illustration of that is you go to a small child and try to help them with a task like tying their shoe or or buttoning their shirt, and they stamp their little feet and say, me do it. And we're like that with God. He comes to us and say, it is a righteousness from God that is revealed to you, and we say, me do it. And so many people inside and outside of churches are busy me doing it. We need to know that it is not what we have done. It's not what we are doing. It's not what we promise to do. It's what God has already done. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. And what did dead people do? I've never seen him do anything. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. God has revealed his righteousness to us, not by condemning sinners as justice demands, but by justifying we sinners as God's character demands, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Now, 
don't get too theological about this business of faith. Oh, people really strain their brains sometimes trying to come up with ways to explain faith. I'm a pretty simple thinking guy. I think of the song the children used to sing in my backyard during Bible club. Faith is just believing what God says he will do. He will never fail us. His promises are true. If we but believe him, his children we become. Faith is just believing this wondrous thing is done. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Church, this is the only gospel we've got. We don't have another one. If we do not know and believe and have confidence in and share this gospel, then everything else we do as a church, and I mean everything else we do as a church, is a big waste of time. Tack to the wall of a young African pastor's humble house were these words that he reportedly had written. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back. Let up. Slow down. Back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I am no longer needing preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought Compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of its sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up 
until I have stayed the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problems recognizing me. My banner is clear. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. So Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let our lives and our conversation demonstrate we are part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And if you are here and not yet a part of that joyous fellowship, please talk to somebody or me in Jesus' name.